Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, November 20th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. My hope is that by listening to these thought leaders, you will find inspiration and new ideas and, of course, have some fun along the way. So I'm very excited today. My guest is John Fine, media columnist for Business Week. Prior to his arrival at Business Week, Fine covered print media for Advertising Age, where he arrived just in time to observe its dizzying fall from its dot-com fuel types. His freelance work has appeared in GQ, Spin, ESPN, The Magazine, and Newsday, where he wrote the Pushing 30 column. So we are going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with John Fine. We'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. Are your domains working hard enough for you? Now, park your portfolio at RevenueDirect.com to maximize your earnings on traffic. With RevenueDirect's proven domain monetization service, you'll experience better payouts, more options, and smart optimization. Sign up free now at RevenueDirect.com. It's that easy. RevenueDirect. Make more money. Period. XY7.com. Do you have a website? XY7.com. Would you like to convert your clicks into cash? XY7.com. Is the affiliate network that pays you daily? XY7.com. Not all website clicks are the same, but they're all worth money. XY7.com. Join today and start earning cash now. XY7.com. Has guaranteed commissions. You'll get paid even if we don't. Go to XY7.com now. Convert your website clicks to cash. Purse Strings with Maria Retail. The show to help you learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country. Women make up 51% of the population and we're in charge of 80% of the spending. Every Tuesday, you're going to learn something new about marketing to women. Purse Strings. Purse strings. Live broadcast Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Don't get caught in a web of confusion. Learn the ropes on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with John Fine, media columnist for Business Week. Hey, John. Hey, Katie. How's it going? 
Good. How are you? Really good. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. My pleasure. So I thought we would jump right in. I mean, I've been going through, you know, some of some of your recent stuff, and it's also interesting. I thought we would go jump right in with something that uh, interests me uh, a lot, probably too much, which is uh, people's appetite, including mine, for, for celebrity gossip. I know you recently did a story about TMZ, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really quite astonishing. Um, TMZ, uh, if you go by the September numbers released by, I believe, Comscore, it's far and away, you know, th- this is something that didn't exist, you know, uh, uh, three years ago. And yeah. uh, if, in September, it was the number one entertainment news website. And in fact, if you look at all news websites, it was number five. It was ahead of the New York Times. It was ahead of, um, I think it was just behind AOL. I mean, it's, it's really astonishing. How many people like this? And, you know, the bottom line is that they do what they do very, very well, and they're very unapologetic about it. Um, You want pictures, you want video, you want nasty bits, you want it short, you want it quick, and you want a lot of it. And that's exactly what they do. Um, The the people at TMZ work, it's it's really quite incredible. Um, Their morning meeting is at 6.30 in the morning. And it's filmed for TV. So not only do you have to be coherent at 6.30, you have to also be semi-presentable. And I was routinely meeting people out there saying, like, yeah, I wake up around 5 and I start checking my BlackBerry. And they're pretty much on from that point on. And they get calls in the middle of the night and they get calls on weekends. I had one of them tell me that, um, you know, yeah, I've gone to weddings and I make a call before the ceremony and I make some calls right after the ceremony. Um, you know, this is basically what our enormous appetites have wrought. But now, um, what? Why? Why do people care so much about all this? Well, historically, I mean, it's always people have always cared about this. I mean, you know, we all want to pretend that we're sitting around, you know, thinking deep thoughts about Iraq and you know the struggles of like various ideologies. But in reality, everyone has some kind of interest in this, and it's easy and it's quick. Um, in the fifties and you know, before then, you know, there were tons of gossip magazines. You know, really rags, basically. They were enormously successful. You know. There was were, there were someone buying all those millions of copies of the National Enquirer when it was selling millions of copies, and it was assuredly selling millions of copies. Someone is buying a million copies of Us Weekly a week and In Touch and all this thing. I mean, this is us. We, we may not like what it's reflecting back at us, but we like this stuff. And, um, you know, fair is fair. Uh, TMZ does what it does very, very well. I mean, they don't take it seriously. They're funny. Their, their TV show is actually riotous. It's just completely, you know, insane and over-annotated and over-the-top and then making fun of everybody and showing drunk people staggering up and down Hollywood Boulevard, um, it's exactly what it pretends to be. And, and like it or not, that's what a lot of us want. But now, and where do you think it's going to lead to? I mean, you, you know, you, you, I, I am perfectly guilty of checking in on TMZ and Perez Hilton, which I like. And, nice of you, you know, to I mean, that, like, It seems to me, you know, they're not... They're like a dog with a bone when you look at somebody like what what's going on with Britney Spears. I mean, is she leading them? Are they leading her? It seems to me that nobody's going to be happy until something terrible happens, So, which it has, but even worse. I mean, what do you think the future, is it going to continue, or is it finally people are going to be like, look, enough of this? No one has gone broke um, overestimating the appetite of the American public for celebrity. So I, I wouldn't, if this was a stock, I wouldn't be shorting it right now. Um, I mean, and, and the numbers of at TMZ are enormous, and they keep growing. I mean, they, it's not slowing down. At some point, we'll hit, you know, we'll hit a kind of tipping point. But, you know, it didn't happen when Us Weekly was selling half a million copies on the newsstand. I mean, it didn't happen when People Magazine, you know, came out 30 years ago. I mean, it just keeps going. 
And on the web, it's really kind of the perfect marriage of content, which is very light, and pictures and video. And it turns out that people want just like, you know, it turns out that, you know, Brittany walking into a store, you know, through a throng of photographers is what per- people are perfectly happy to watch. Who am I to say they're wrong? <laughs> Who are you to say they're wrong? So let's talk about an, an, another article that you wrote recently, which is sort of in the other direction from the Internet, which is about Jan Werner from um, Rolling Stone. And it says he's all but thumbing his nose at the web. You know, they're about to celebrate their 40th anniversary. Can you just talk a little bit about your, your, your time with him and your article and your experiences with that? Well, Jan Werner's a really fascinating character. Um, uh, you know, he basically came up with an idea when he was 20 or 21 that turned out to be, you know, big enough to launch an empire. Um, that, 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 that's, that, that's pretty unusual. They've been, um, I mean, magazines in general have done a lousy job in terms of, um, I hate the phrase digital strategy. They, they just haven't really figured out the web very well. And he hasn't more than anything. And in early 2006, Us Weekly, which is one of the most successful magazines going, Us Weekly's website in early 2006 was a coupon to get a, print, a subscription to the magazine. That was it. Nothing else. Um, Rolling Stone's website is essentially is operated by real networks. I mean, they, they don't even have full control over it. And the crazy thing is, is that it hasn't mattered. Um, there's lots to be said about, you know, Rolling Stone's place in the culture and it not being as central as it once was. I think that's pretty much indisputable at this point. But it's an enormously successful magazine. I mean, we're talking revenues well north of $100 million, you know, profits $20, $25 million every year. Um, Us Weekly has just been a massive, massive hit. I mean, the crazy thing is that you could argue that of the major, you know, magazine companies that, that Winner has had, you know, the just weakest notion of how to get mm-hmm. online, and it's clear if you talk with Jan and you read the interview that's on my blog, that he, he just doesn't really, he's not that intrigued by it. But their lack of interest in that hasn't worked against them. Um, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just really been incredible. I mean, you know, Rolling Stone is still very profitable. Us Weekly is an enormously profitable thing. I mean, Winter Media with, is now bigger and more, probably more profitable than it's ever been, crazy as that sounds. So I've been saying his name wrong for all these years then. How embarrassing. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> he wasn't around to correct you, I guess. How embarrassing! What can I do? So, let me ask you an, an, just another thing about about Rolling Stone because in in his case, I mean, it's the founder who seems so very um, closely tied to the you know to the movements and to how the company goes forward. Yes. And you know, there there are a number of big companies like that. I recently was at the Google Zeitgeist and I heard the head of Patagonia talking, mm-hmm. um, and it seems you know he's so closely steering the ship. How does it work when, do you think, for a company when there's one person who's so in charge, and especially like in this case where he, he says, well, look, I'm not so interested in the web, so we're not going to focus on it. Do you think it's destructive for a company, or do you think if it's a really spot-on person, it's, it's a smart thing to do? Um, there's something very powerful about a founder entrepreneur. I mean, there's something very powerful about someone who lives the brand. I mean, you know, two words, Martha Stewart. Um, you know, that, that said, um, you know, a, a company like Winter Media, um, you know, very much reflects the idiosyncrasies and desires of Jan Winter himself. It's turned out that that hasn't been, you know, such a bad thing um, in terms of, you know, like, if you look at it from 30,000 feet. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's something, uh, you know, your perverse is probably a bad word to use, but there's something just kind of off about it. Rolling Stone is a magazine that's, that's predominantly read by young men, you know, eight men, 18 to 34. Yet they have lots of coverage of Jan Winner's, you know, we, we can call them friends of Jan, Bruce Springsteen, 
Bono, you know, there'll still be stuff on John Lennon and Hunter S. Thompson forever. And um, is that really relevant to a 22-year-old these days? I mean, you know, I'm almost 40, and Bruce Springsteen is completely relevant to me, and I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I can't imagine how that look, you know, like how 10 pages on Bruce Springsteen looked to someone who's 22 and actually engaged in music of right now. Um, I, for that matter, Bono. I mean, you know, Bono's almost 50. I mean, who cares about this guy if you're 22? Um, but that, that stuff is there. Um, I don't think that that's smart necessarily, but it hasn't, you know, caused the entire empire, the entire edifice to crumble. I mean, it may not be the best strategy long term. The crazy thing with the winter media is that it hasn't, you know, really materially worked against it yet. Mm-hmm. But so, but does that mean then that it's limited? Because I mean, you know, I'm in your demographic. I'm also from New Jersey, and I also love Bono. So when I'm not buying the magazine anymore, does it mean that you know there's not a lot of future for it? No, I mean because there's something self-sustaining about Rolling Stone, and actually, Rolling Stone isn't even really the big story with Warner Media. I mean, Us Weekly is. Us Weekly is a weekly. It sells a lot more copies. Um, I mean, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I would say you know minimum it makes it throws off profits twice as much as Rolling Stone, probably more like three. So you know, it, it turns out that you know that that worked out. I mean. It's it's very odd. I mean, you know, I think if if you run a company and you're running it in your image, I mean, you know, you get to call the shots to a certain degree. That that's one of the great joys of it. And you know that that can be disastrous. I mean, and if I was really savvy, I would pick up a name, you know, out of out of the air right now about a founder entrepreneur who had an idea that worked really well and then went into the ground. Um, you know, it, it just ended up not working out for some reason. Warner Media has has you know prospered, and it's prospered through extremely colorful you know behavior of its founder, and for that matter, the people around him, you know, with regard to substances and alcohol in the 80s. Um, I mean, they lived what they were talking about. Uh, the, the stories that I hear from, you know, top business executives who were there in the 80s are just really pretty mind-blowing and hilarious. Um, <laughs> what they remember. And yet, it, and, I mean, it didn't seem to matter. I mean, it, it, it's a testimony to the durability of an idea. And even if the idea, I mean, what, what does Rolling Stone mean today? I mean, if I'm 22 years old, do I care about Rolling Stone? I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't think so, but someone's buying it and someone's advertising it. I think one of, the, one of the real tricks to Rolling Stone is that the relevancy to the 22-year-old, you know, guy is lessened by the fact that, you know, the advertisers think it's really relevant. And like it or not, advertiser agencies and ad campaigns are planned by people who are much closer to Jan Winner's age than much to a 22-year-old's age. If they want to surround themselves you know, with a big idea about music, um, they're going to call Rolling Stone first. I mean, you know, to them, you know, Bruce Springsteen is still cool. So Mm -hmm. there's a weird disconnect in the people who are actually paying the freight, which are the advertisers, and the audience that it's going to. Um, You know, so it's it's a strange thing. I'm I'm kind of oddly fascinated by it, as you can tell. (laughs) That you're very passionate about it. It's terrific. But I have one more question about 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 um, Warner Media in terms of Us Weekly and and and. Sites like TMZ. If you're a reader who reads Us Weekly and you want to know what's happening with Lindsay Lohan now that she's out of rehab, and you have the choice of either getting Us Weekly once a week, which is going to show you pictures of her without her makeup on, or you know what whatever people find fascinating, or you can go to sites like TMZ or Perez Hilton and see it every single day. How is Us Weekly able to compete with that? Well, I mean, you you bring up a really good point, and I mean, like you know, um, it it may what you're saying makes intuitive sense. That said, so far, and I want to double underscore so far, it's not like in the you know us weekly circulation has suddenly dropped ten percent or five percent or one percent. I mean, it's still you know, I mean, I think it's pretty much maxed out as to how huge it it can be, which is not so bad if you're selling 
you know, somewhere near 2 million copies, well, probably more like, you know, 1.5, 1.8 million copies a week. Um, They haven't, you know, fallen off the cliff yet. I don't know what happens. I mean, the one thing that's interesting to note, um, and I've heard this from several people around it, is that if we just look at magazines, if we just look at celebrity magazines, you know, people who Mm -hmm. buy them don't buy one, they buy four. So I'm not so sure that if you're really engaged in this, you know, you're just going to go to TMZ twice a day and that's going to be enough. I mean, you might also want to get Us Weekly. And in Us Weekly's defense, I mean, which I think is a very, very good magazine, um, you know, it, it, it feels different from TMZ. I mean, it, and it's kind of fascinating because, you know, People Magazine came along, and I would like to point out that when People Magazine came along in the 70s, there were people who thought it was the end of the world. I mean, oh my God, journalism's over, this horrible, frivolous stuff is going to take over, we're dead, we're going to die, you know. Well, Us Weekly comes along after the year 2000, and like People Magazine is sort of like the big, boring play, and Us Weekly can be kind of the young, kicky play and, and do things that they can't. And then now Us Weekly's big, and now there's TMZ and Perez, you know, that, that, that are finding kind of an underbelly, you know, that they can, I'm about to mix metaphors terribly, you know, like latch on to, or, you know, there's still plenty of fish left in the, the small fish left in the sea for them to eat, or some other horrible mixed metaphor. So it, it just, it, this food chain just sort of keeps expanding somehow. There seems to keep being more room for that. Logically, that has to end at some point. I can't tell you when it is. All I can tell you is that it hasn't happened yet. Well, I mean, something that's been talked about, you know, all over the the magazines, the press in general, and I would think you would have a especially unique point of view on this because, you know, as a media columnist who studies the media and as someone who works for Business Week, a magazine, what do you see? I mean, you said magazines in general haven't really figured out the web very well. What do you see as the future of print magazines? Well, the future of print magazines, I mean, I, th- I think th- there will be fewer of them, but, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that magazines go away or most of the magazines we know and recognize, the names we know and recognize go away, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think, you know, um, the short answer is that if I really knew this, I would, you know, be at, at a much, you know, more exalted, you know, salary level than I am right now. <laughs> but um, realistically, the idea is, you know, you, and th- th- these are all tired cliches, and I want to, say that, I know that they're tired cliches before I even say them. Um, there's a print magazine and there are a bunch of digital offshoots. There may be some kind of online community. Um, there, there is something on the web that is unique to, you know, that, that, that is unique material, but mm-hmm. is still recognizable as being Business Week or Esquire or Vogue or Gourmet or Food and Wine. Um, it's easier for certain things than others. I mean, Gourmet, Food and Wine, I mean, you know, they have amazing recipe databases. Um, travel sites, you know, they, 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 they can show you more pictures. You know, they, they can maybe help you out transactionally. It, frankly, it, it gets a little um, fuzzier when you're, you're a more general magazine, good housekeeping time, you know, to a lesser degree business week, which by focusing on business, you know, um, you know, there's an opportunity there, as Forbes.com has certainly shown. They've, you know, sort of, I think, uh, evolved an Internet strategy faster than Business Week did. Um, but i, I got to say, um, you know, I go to media conferences and I hear magazine executives, and I went to a major magazine conference, major magazine publishing conference. I guess this was um, the end of 2006, and there are a bunch of CEOs on stage and high-ranking people saying, like, okay, we've, we're embracing the Internet. And I'm in, in the audience thinking, you know, you are the guys running the businesses, you know, in which I make my livelihood, and it's 2006, and you're discovering and embracing the Internet? Where were you in 2001 or 2000 or 1998 or 1995? I mean, what took you so long? What happened to all the white space that you guys, what happened to all the space that you guys have abdicated? 
why are there all these competitors there that wouldn't have been there? You know, um, I mean, just just to give one tiny, ridiculously targeted example, um, Johnson and Johnson um, bought a website called Baby Center. Um, I believe it was in two thousand one for a minimal amount of money. Uh, that's become a major, major competitor to the parenting magazines. Um, they've actually outdone them in a lot of ways, and the parenting magazines are under much more pressure now because Baby Center is such a big thing online, and they're engaging with, you know, expectant moms, expectant parents, you know, and new parents to a much greater degree than the parenting mm-hmm. magazines. Now, why didn't any of the parenting magazines do a really good website in 2001? Why? Why didn't they? No one can give me a good answer for this, and, and it's, it's a source of some frustration. They were hoping it would go away. I guess. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, you know, realistically, um, you know, and in fairness, uh, you know, at some point I will be older than I am right now, which already feels very old. And um, if I had been doing one thing for 30 years in my career that had worked fine, and then there was this new thing coming along and it was uncertain, you know, maybe I wouldn't be so quick to hop on it. But, I mean, geez, you know, I mean, for the amount of money that the, the people in that position are being paid, you know, to see a little bit of the future and figure out how you can take advantage of the stuff happening, I mean, it's, it's kind of unforgivable, um, you know, really, in my view. And it's, it's been the source, as you can tell, of some frustration for me. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because I, I think you're right. I mean, there are certain magazines, like I'm a huge fan of magazines, and I, I travel a lot for work, and I like to bring them with me, and I like to have them in, you know, read them on the plane and like, have them in my hotel it's, it's and good ones I like to save. So I, I hope that that part doesn't go away. And, you know, things like Elle or Vogue, you know, well, fashion I, I, magazines, I'm gourmet, those up. I mean, they're, they're think, not as easy to translate. It's, it's easier if you... It, you know, what you said before, like, if I want a recipe, which anyone who knows me would know that I probably wouldn't, but, you know, if I wanted a recipe to just go online and get it, but if I want to just get the flavor of something that's going on, I want to, I want to hold on to it for a while. No, I mean, absolutely. And you bring up a good point about, you know, Vogue and L. I mean, it turns out that certain magazines have more of a moat around them when it comes to, you know, protecting territory. Um, it turns out that, you know, the, the magazines that form the backbone of Condé Nast publications, um, this is stuff like Vogue, Architectural Digest, um, you know, Vanity Fair. I mean, it's all high-end stuff. It turns out that, that like, a, a kind of random assemblage of magazines, you know, aimed at rich people, you know, turned out to be a really good bet long-term. Um, it turned out that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that migrates slowest to the Internet. Um, if your business model is you make jeans that cost, I'm sorry, you sell jeans, for $300 that costs you $25 to make. I mean, you want a physical, you want almost a coffee table book environment to somehow convince people that your jeans are worth this exorbitant amount of money that they're going to pay for them. And therefore, you need something like Vanity Fair or Vogue. You need that environment. I'm not sure WebEd cuts it in the same way. Uh, and so that kind of stuff sticks around. I mean, the magazine as a physical object, I think, is very important. Um, I think it has to look good. It has to feel like a magazine. It has, to be, it has to give you something. You want the pictures to look nice. You want it to be a smartly designed thing. Um, you know, one of the problems that newspapers have is that, you know, at, at, at base, they're delivering a pretty basic kind of information in a very um, utilitarianly designed thing. I mean, the, the product itself is meaningless, you know. I happen to like them. I love newspapers. But I'm not sure that, you know, I, I don't look at the New York Times and say, like, God, this is, you know, aesthetically beautiful. I, mm-hmm. Or, you know, or, or the Wall Street Journal. I say, well, you know, this is a great yeah. article. I prefer to read it on paper. I prefer the experience on paper. But there's just less of an argument for it to say like that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned newspapers because that was the next thing I was going to ask you about. So that would be a very good segue. <laughs> 
The New York Times actually ran a column on November 6th recently, which showed how, and this is certainly not a surprise, that paid circulation for newspapers is down since last year, and how the, how American newspapers are continuing to decline, or continue to, cl- to decline over the spring and summer, and uh, sales fell across the industry almost 3% compared to mm-hmm. the year before. And obviously, I mean, this reflects the shift of readers to the Internet which is up, which is also no surprise. But what do you feel is the future of, uh, of the newspaper industry and, and how news will be disseminated and how it will affect places like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and smaller papers? Well, those are really good questions. They're actually a series of questions. I mean, number one, um, what's happening with newspaper circulation is a little more um, nuanced than just everyone's going to the web. Um, in, you know, more flush times when there was, you know, more ad dollars, um, you know, newspapers went pretty far and wide to find readers. Um, you know, if you're the Los Angeles Times, you know, you could conceivably seek readers all the way up to San Francisco. Those readers are expensive to find, and they're expensive to distribute to. And uh, But, I mean, if you want to bulk up and say, like, hey, we got 1.2 million circulation, I mean, you know, you go after them. Well, there's a lot less value in doing that right now because the costs are just outweighing what you can get back on the advertising. And so you've, you see a lot of papers, you know, shrinking. Um, you know that, and part of that is by intent, but also, yeah, part of it reflects um, people migrating to the internet. I think you know what happens is you, you, you know you have a stratification. Um, if you look at the New York Times and the New York Times Online, I mean, it, it's pretty clear um, that they're kind of positioning themselves as a luxury information product. I mean, they are a premium product that you're going to pay premium dollars for, uh, which, by the way, I believe they're absolutely worth, and that advertisers will, play pre- will pay premium dollars to reach a premium audience. Uh, this mm-hmm. is true whether it's on paper, whether it's online, whether it's in all this sort of crazy, you know, luxury-aimed um, uh, uh, magazines that they're throwing on. They have stuff like tea. I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's, it's you know, beautiful and really fat um, every, every week. Um, the Wall Street Journal under Murdoch is going to be going after the same people in, in a much more aggressive way. Um, you know, they're going to be doing a magazine. It's, it looks really likely, um, you know, to go with it, um, with, to go with their weekend journal, their, their Saturday journal. That, that'll compete against the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the problem is that all papers in big cities, I think, are facing a smaller world somehow. And there's going to be this kind of racking transition as they shrink down from what they were, which was buffeted by advertising that essentially, you know, for a variety of reasons, they, they were getting much higher rates then than they could now. Um, there's going to be this kind of racking transition into the new world. I don't know if that new world is 20% smaller than today or 10% smaller than today or 8% smaller than today or 30% smaller than today. Um, the idea of the newspaper is valid. You need local hubs of information, and you're going to need one dominant thing. And for all the problems newspapers have, um, they are still the dominant. They're always the dominant, the single biggest entity in the local market. The problem is that, you know, what it will be in five years is just inevitably smaller than it is right now. I mean, you've seen lots of layoffs at lots of big papers, and um, I, I don't see that ending. What you have any predictions on what you think the Wall Street Journal's is, it, Journal is going to look like in a few years? Um, I think it's not going – I think it's going to be a bit um, – it, it might be a bit brighter. Um, some articles might be a little bit shorter. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't expect that to change materially because the, the – there's a lot to be said about Rupert Murdoch, and in, in writing and actually commentating and doing radio shows about him, I'm, I'm reminded that there's a lot of people out there that just really hate him, really think he's the devil. Um, there's a lot to be said about Rupert Murdoch. Um, I don't think he's a stupid man. And if I think he's smart enough to realize that if he tinkers with the Wall Street Journal 
and if it, it it more reflects you know what he just wants you know um, to be you know broadcast in the newspaper um, then 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 he ruins it and mm-hmm. you know he ruins something that he's paying an awful lot of money for an awful lot of money for and if he ruins it that's the first line of his um, obituary and it des- and it deserves to be um, so I don't think I don't think you know it's going to be this sort of horrible thing. It's going to be this screaming tabloid. Um, you know I think it might be a little brighter. I think there will be more. There will definitely be more news about you know national goings on in America and probably international. Again, competing with um, you know the New York Times. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to see it go after. You're going to see much more luxury advertising in there. You're going to see a Saturday magazine that in some ways is going to be a uh, kind of counter programming to the New York Times Sunday magazine. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Which most people get on Saturday anyway. The, 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 uh, the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, you can get most of the paper on Saturday if you want. Oh, you mean, you mean the New York Times? Yeah, 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 yeah. The New York right. Times. I'm sorry. So I want to ask you something because you referred before to, um, you referred to an interview on your blog, and I wanted to just talk about pl- blogging quickly because, you know, Although the Internet sort of brings a whole new way in, and space to delve into stories for magazines, it's also different because you, as, as a columnist, as a journalist, you're able to bring more of your voice into a blog. And I'm curious what you think. How, how does that relate when people look to a place as prestigious as Business Week, you know, and the reputation that Business Week brings for delivering their news? Well, um, it's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, one thing I've noticed, I mean, uh, my columns go in one place on the website and my blog goes in another place. And Mm -hmm. very frequently, people can't tell the difference between one and the other. And this used to sort of bother me, and then I thought, you know what, whatever. As long as they're reading me, I really got nothing to complain about whatsoever. Um, You know, a blog enables you to um, have a a different sort of dialogue going with the reader, and it is an actual dialogue. I mean, I'm not putting words on print that goes out and hopefully gets read. Um, You know, I can can see what the traffic is. I get comments back. You know, uh, people, you know, we quote-unquote interact slightly. I mean, um, it's sort of a source of guilt that I can't really just blog full-time and make that be the thing. Um, But, you know, there's demands of the job. Um, so it's, I mean, you have to do it. You have to do it. I mean, if you do what I do for a living, I mean, you just pretty much have to master doing everything on all platforms because no one knows what the next thing is going to be. I mean, the next thing or a part of the next thing is a much more robust website that has video, that has blogs, that has, you know, different kinds of stories and different kinds of content. And you've just got to, you know, master all of it. I mean, because, you know, the, the nice way of looking at it is that you just have a much broader palette to play with. You have a much bigger canvas to paint on. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and, and it's fun. I mean, like, you know, it, it's just a useful thing to do. So, I mean, I enjoy it. But, I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of journalists, um, my age and older, who don't really care to do it. And, I mean, I guess that's fine, too. But um, I, I don't see any downside in, in, you know, trying new dances. Okay, so now I would be remiss if just now at the end I didn't ask you, because really, you know, I am a PR person and a lot of PR people listen to this. You know, if if somebody has a, a topic that they feel is really compelling for you to write about, do you accept pitches? Can they get in touch with you? Do you not want to hear from them? I mean, I'm, I'm, always, ha- I'm always happy to get emails, but, I mean, you know, the, the, the signal-to-noise ratio for me is, is really just, in, you know, incredibly low. Um, I've also had people pitch me on my Facebook account, which I've now decided is an official defriending event. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't really have any tolerance for that. Email is fine. Um, in all honesty, I've been at Business Week for about two and a half years now, and I think um, out of all the unsolicited pitches I've gotten, one of them has become a column or a story. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, generally, like, you know, I, I do my own discovery. Um, you know, I've, you know, I mean, I talk to lots of people. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a basic fact that in many cases, you know, what the journalists most want to write about is the stuff that PR people, you know, least want them to write about. I mean, that's just the basic tension here. And, you know, the stuff that you most want to be written about is not necessarily the stuff we're interested in at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, email is, is really the best way to do it just because it's a much more um, on-demand medium. Um, and, you know, pitch, pitching on the phone is, is sometimes, you know, a pain, and I'm not that easy to reach on the phone. I can vouch for that. So last question, <laughs> what are you most looking forward to covering in the next six months to a year? Uh, the next six months to a year, what happens to the Wall Street Journal will be very interesting. What happens to Time Warner will be very interesting. What happens with Barry Diller's IAC will be very interesting. Um, Google's next series of moves, and I say series of moves because I think there will be several, um, you know, will be very interesting. The, um, the way that the, a lot of big online players are moving into ad networks, how that all plays out is going to be very interesting. Um, the ongoing evolution of newspapers, um, the, Formation of new, the sort of bottom-up formation of new models, new business models for music, um, you know, which was pri- primarily driven by bands and managers. That that's going to be very interesting. Um, and obviously, what happens to the big totems? Um, you know, how long will television continue to hold on to its share of ad dollars, which it's done very well? Um, you know, what, what's going to happen with the writer strike? There's an awful lot going on. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to hang up the phone and think of 15 things that I didn't think of saying that are perfectly good to say. Well, you have to come back. Will you come back? Because there's 15 things I didn't have a chance to ask you. I'll absolutely come back. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with me today, John. My pleasure, Katie. Okay, bye-bye. That's all that we have time for, so join me uh, next week for another episode of The Hook. Bye-bye. 